Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is high. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. J.B. Bickerstaff just saying that Danny Green is available off the bench tonight. So I said earlier, like, I'm just trying not to put too much on this game. I, I think the Cavs can win. Um, I think I think the Cavs, Bucks, and 76ers are three of the hottest teams in the NBA right now. So my my expect, expectation for this game are not just that the Cavs play really, really well. I think a win is going to tell us a lot about the Cavs. I don't know. The, the, the kernel of doubt in the back of my head about this game is it's their final game before the All-Star break. And by the way, that's also my kernel of doubt for the 76ers. But if you told me tomorrow, Cavs win and Danny Green plays, that's about as much as I could get at any individual regular season game. And I think it's fair to ask, like, have your expectations changed here recently for the Cavs? Because I I tend to find myself, when the Cavs are in a negative space, right, Uh, when they had that stretch of basketball where they had they had gotten within 10 games of 500 and it looked like there were some end of game tactics by JB that didn't work out and then JB had that huge you know four minute state of the union address to the Cleveland media about how you know we're we're not you know we're not going to give in and these you know they're still young and it's still going to take time I think I'm more likely with the Cavs to reset my expectations for the negative than the positive. Because I'm almost afraid, I'm afraid that at any point, like right now, I can't expect the Cavs to be a top four team. If it happens, I mean, boy, does that go, does that does that kind of jumpstart our expectations for them? And all of a sudden, just making a, a seven-game series isn't going to be enough if you are a top four seed because you'll have home court advantage. Okay, but a four seed gets beat by a five seed relatively often in the NBA. So, like, I, my point is, I don't want to get to the point where we were with the Cavs when LeBron was here. That first year, we had title expectations. We skipped, I ah, got to win a playoff series. We skipped, ah, you got to make a Eastern Conference Finals runs. We skipped, ah, you got to go try and win an NBA title now. And because we skipped those steps, Every single year after that, the bar was the same, even after winning a title. Yes, did it let off the steam of a, uh, of a town that hadn't won a title in 50 years? Yep, it did that. Was the pressure still there? Yep. Did that impact all of our enjoyment? Like when I think back to, and, and a lot of this is because, you know, time is linear. When I think back to the LeBron era, I remember more of the end era where it was the pressure of night in, night out, the ex- the pressure of expectations, of being really one of the three faces of the NBA. 
It was the Cavs, it was the Warriors, and then the third team kind of bounced back and forth on any given year. One one year it was this team, one year it was another team. Spurs were still kind of in that conversation, though we never saw them in the finals, obviously. Not that second run. So I'm trying to do everything I can to avoid having outsized expectations. But if you get this win, and you're tied for the third spot in the Eastern Conference, and you go into the All-Star break, it's going to be really tough to not let the cat out of the bag with expectations. It's easy to look at that Spurs win and say, well, you should have beat them by 20. It's easy to look at that Bulls game and say it should have never come down to you coming back in the fourth quarter. It's easy to look at these seven games. Ah, Memphis, they'd been they lost six or seven going into that matchup that started your win streak. You can pick apart or qualify. That's how, how I prefer to say it. You can qualify every game on this. You can't qualify this game if you get this win. If you this is unless unless it, if for some reason, right? And I've had this happen with Luka Doncic, where I took Luka in a in a prop. And then Luca gets hurt within three minutes of the game and misses the rest of the game. Unless Joel Embiid doesn't play most of this game, that's the only way you qualify this win. But I don't want, I don't want to put the the, the cart before the horse. Because the worst thing that you could say is that I stop enjoying this team the way I've enjoyed this team. Like I was in Charlotte for most of last year, so I had league pass, so I watched the Cavs. But when you're not in it, right, when we don't talk about it every day, when we're not watching every single game because you have to talk about it, it's different. Being back in town, I'll be honest, guys. I had said, what was it? When did I piss everybody off? I had only been back like a month. And when I said I would trade, if if I had to, I would trade Darius Garland for Donovan Mitchell. Six months later, I'm so relieved they didn't have to. Six months later, I totally see why everybody here called me a jerk. That's like the nice thing they might have called me. They called me other things. Said I was fat. They were right. Um, But I totally get it. And after watching Evan Mobley, I I had high opinion of the guy beforehand. I thought his ceiling was sky high. I think it's kind of a disappointment. If in four years he isn't your best player. And by the way, not just best player. Like a guy who takes over games the way we see, you know, the top 10 players in the NBA do. I think that's what his ceiling could be. Even if the player comparison is Chris Bosh, which people are really stuck up on. 216-578-0092. And Nick Wilson says, have, have the last seven games. Actually, it's not even that. Have your expectations changed for the Cavs after what you've seen in the first 55, 60 games? Because I, I, I've kept trying to put off expectations in that that whole thing of, I just want to love the team. And you know the other thing that scares me, if we're being honest? I don't want the Cavs. There is some, there's at some point when a team really starts to believe in itself, it loses, I don't want to say they lose their likability. I don't think that's fair. But it loses what initially made them likable. I don't want the Cavs to lose what makes them likable. Like every night after wins, Isaac Okoro, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, 
Lamar Stevens, these dudes are mean mugging the camera and stand, like just stupid little stuff. And I think it's important. Eventually, the most important thing is you just win. You win a title. You win titles. Evan Mobley is in all NBA. Like those things are going to be the most important thing about the legacy and what this team does and what J.B. Pickerstaff's uh, Cleveland legacy is and what any of these guys, how long they stay here. I get it. But there's a moment in time before the expectations hit, before the noise hits in the NBA, where you can just you can just love your team. I think the Cavs are likable. I think they're lovable. And I think the second, if they were to beat the Sixers tonight, which I, I believe I have them doing in a parlay, so you know it's not going to happen. Sorry. That's all my fault. Um. I, I I worry that the expectations are going to spiral out of control. Spiral. That's the word I was looking for. Allah Abdul Nabi. That's the name I was going for. Two one six five seven eight double zero nine two. Have have the Cavs' recent success here? Have your expectations been changed? Whether it was in the last seven games or in the first fifty some games of this year, Eddie, have your Cavs' expectations changed since the season tipped off some three and a half months ago? Hello, Eddie. Yeah, hey there. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, love, love you having on uh, coming on the show here. But I uh, just want to talk about Evan Mobley. Real quick, um, real quick, because we were talking about have your expectations changed for the Cavs expect- since the beginning of the season? No, not at all. Inconsistency still is um, is robbing me of positive expectations. Uh, not not positive expectations, but sky high expectations. Okay, and I expected that going into the season. Alrighty. So what's your uh, Evan take? Thank you, buddy. Yeah, Evan. Yeah, I coming into the season or last season, even I was like, yeah, you know, sky high ceiling here. I think once we brought in Donovan Mitchell, his availability with the ball is just too low to really get him going. It's it's just really hard to see what he is this year, and he's taking steps as the season goes on. But it's just it's just too hard to see Evan Mobley as a showcase player when he's just not. Well, I, yeah, but he's twenty or twenty-one. Like he's right. he's got you know a hundred games into the NBA. Eddie, we appreciate you, buddy. I think I, the same thing I'm saying about the Cavs can probably be true of Evan Mobley. I, I and I guys, I did it leading into the year as well. Well, Evan could be your second best player as soon as this year, and maybe next year. It's okay. Throw all that crap out the window. That's that's sport talk, sports talk stuff. That's water cooler stuff. We talk about as our friends. The reality, our talk with our friends. The reality is, Evan Mobley is one of the best young defensive players in the NBA. Actually, that's qualifying it the wrong way. He's one of the best defenders in the NBA. And as good as he was last year defensively, he's even better this year. And I think you start, like, look at how he's scoring now. He, and I, I haven't checked his split, so I don't know how much his, his scoring average has gone up. But. Even if even if the scoring has stayed the same, how he's scoring is different. And I still don't want to I don't want to get back to expectations with him. Simply because I don't want to lose the love of watching this guy play. And by the way, I'm looking at it. Uh Caesar Sportsbook has Celtics plus one thirty to win the Eastern Conference. Then it goes Bucks, Sixers, and obviously the Cavs are in fourth, and that's at plus one thousand. A little too rich for my blood. Picking the Cavs this far. Listen, say what you want about me. If I if I kick the hornet's nest, I own it, even if I'm wrong. Like, I was totally trolling Dustin the other day on uh, saying Deion Sanders was overrated. Mostly because 
he didn't give my spring football idea. Sorry, spring NFL league uh, a real chance. He didn't. He didn't really see what I was pick up what I was putting down. But like the spring football thing, I'll own that. I still think. I don't think we'll ever see, uh, at least in my lifetime, the threshold met for the public thirst for NFL football. It's not about football. It's about NFL football. And I think when you see, like, there's not a scandal that has permanently brought down the NFL. The game is actively shortening the life of its players. Doesn't matter. People still watch. The league went either completely political or banned anybody from going political. That would kill baseball. Eh, NFL. Tis only a flesh wound. Sorry, I didn't intend to start to go down the spring uh, rabbit hole there. I just, I just, it, Raj, call me. That's all I'm going to say. Roger Goodell should call me and we'll work through the new 52-team league starting in uh, February of 2025. But I will own it. I think it's time Anthony Lima owns that he's been the only person on air bringing up the conversation about trading Nick Chubb. Until KJ Wright the other day. Like, just own it. And it doesn't mean he wants him traded. It just means that he's been the person to bring up the idea of Nick Chubb's value with the Cleveland Browns. And I say that to say that finally somebody bit. And that somebody was KJ Wright on with Baskin and Phelps yesterday. And he had what I think is a fair thought. And it's still probably nowhere close to near enough to get me to move on from Nick Chubb. The drawing board. Let's put our roster on the chalkboard and let's see what can we do to find a way to end up in Las Vegas next year representing the AFC and the Super Bowl. And so on the Browns, you just look at this team. What are they going to do going forward? You traded the house for Deshaun Watson. You gave up everything for him. And let's see, how are they going to maximize bringing him in? And um, uh, call me crazy, guys, but I'm not a fan of pairing a Nick Chubb with a Deshaun Watson. I don't believe that Deshaun has any business under center handing the ball off to him 25 to 30-plus times a game. Deshaun Watson is the guy that needs to be in shotgun, airing the, the ball out downfield to speedy receivers. And so it's going to be very, very interesting to see how are they going to approach this offense to maximize that big-time move they made. And so it's going to be very interesting to see how all things play out. I think the idea of Nick Chubb and Deshaun Watson's fit, I think, is fair. I think if the Browns really had concerns about it, they should have traded Nick Chubb a year ago. Like, that, it, to me, it, it, there is a frustration that I have because it feels like the Browns just said, all right, we're going to trade Deshaun and damn the torpedoes and nothing else matters and we'll, you know, that'll be enough. Despite the fact he was looking for, <laughs> that he was going to be suspended, we were just wondering for how long. Despite the fact that, you know, there's a style of player that, that worked with him, specifically speed wide receivers did very well. Big play wide receivers did very well with Deshaun in Houston. But I can just be honest with you. To hear that, oh, I don't think Nick Chubb and and Deshaun Watson fit because Deshaun shouldn't spend 30, uh, 30 touches under center turning around handing the ball back. Well, one, Nick Chubb has been successful out of the shotgun. I don't think Nick Chubb was had a worse November and December this year 
because Deshaun Watson was playing out of the shotgun or because the Browns were, well, actually, it's because I think the Browns were experimenting, which I think everybody on the station has said in one way or another. And I think it's because the rest of the defenses said, all right, Deshaun, we're going to go ahead and stop Nick Chubb. Now you beat us. And Deshaun couldn't. So that's not about fit. It's about having a quarterback working through rust that wasn't ready to do the thing that would have helped Nick Chubb be better. But this idea of, oh, it's a fit with Nick Chubb. Guys, in his career, Nick Chubb has a 5.7 yards per carry average in almost 400 touches out of the shotgun. Last year, his supposed down year, or in the back half of the year, down year, he almost had 100 touches. 100 touches? That's not the right. But he had a, a five yards per carry, above a five yards per carry, out of the shotgun. And oh, by the way, there are other formations you can use other than single back formation and the shotgun. So I, I'll tell you, legitimately, I don't know if you're going to, I know, I know for a fact, they're not going to line Nick Chubb up for 30 times a game and ride Nick Chubb to a Super Bowl. Would you like to know how I know? Because they didn't do it the previous four years. They have kept, kept his touches down, whether it's 15 touches a game, 18 touches a game, somewhere in there. They've kept his touches down. And I don't think that was all about Kareem Hunt. I think they spent an ass load of money on Nick Chubb and they didn't want to run the tires off of him. Now, could they have won more games last year if they had just turned around and handed the ball off to Nick Chubb? Yep, but that's the past. This is the future. They had every opportunity to do that in the past. They're not going to have a need to in the future. So I'd be surprised if Nick Chubb averaged 18 touches a game next year. 15, and I'm just pulling that number out my my butt, 15's probably right around the right amount, quote-unquote. But that doesn't mean they don't fit together because Kevin Stefanski never wanted to run him 30 times a game anyways. To me, and I don't understand this line of thinking, like if you say, well, look at the, and there, somebody had sent out a list of um, leading rushers on Super Bowl winning teams. And I thought it was a really convenient way of framing that because I think they were leading rushers, ru sorry, leading rushers from the Super Bowl itself. Because like on 2013, the leading rusher on Seattle was Marshawn Lynch. Marshawn Lynch was a high-paid running back when he was in Seattle. Still the anomaly, but it's funny to me how far people go to devalue the running back. Just because Todd Gurley, just because Ezekiel Elliott, just because guys who were elite and then got paid and maybe didn't live up to their contract – just because those guys didn't pan out, Nick Chubb has earned every cent the Browns have paid him. And just because it's very rare that a great running back plays with a great quarterback and those two go together to win a Super Bowl doesn't mean it's going to preclude the Browns from doing it. If the Browns can't make Nick Chubb and Deshaun Watson work, one of two things must have happened. One, father time came for Nick Chubb. I don't know when that's going to happen, by the way. Nobody does. Or two, and I think this is a hell of a lot more likely, Kevin Stefanski isn't worth his salt as a coach. 
the pressure is off you when you're playing with a quarterback or a running back or an offensive line that people don't have high expectations for. Because you have to get creative. You have to outsmart everybody. Do you get what you really have to excel at when you first get a franchise quarterback as a play caller, whatever? Doing the basic things better than the other teams. Because you don't have to get creative. Eventually you can. Right? Like the Browns, the second they rolled out to Sean, it's like, hey, should we just throw bleep at the wall and see what sticks? And they did. And Deshaun, by the way, still got better as that season went on. You add two touchdowns in that New Orleans game, he would have had nine uh, TDs to, I think, three interceptions. That looks like improvement to me off the three, the first three games. What do I know? 216-578-0092. I think they're valid questions to ask yourself if you're the Browns. I think you should have asked them a year ago. But I think the idea that those valid questions all lead in trading Nick Chubb, I think that to me is, I think it's I think it's a point of frustration of, well, this isn't like other winning teams, so let's get it like other winning teams and damn the torpedoes, no matter whether it's the right decision or not. This isn't should we pay Nick Chubb. You already paid him. It's does he fit together with Deshaun Watson, and I think any coach worth his salt can take great talent and make it work. Nelson, welcome to the show, buddy. What you got for us? Dang it, Nick. You're killing me with this topic. I appreciate you. What? Yes. You know, because we we love Nick Chubb, you know, and but, but the reality is, right, and, and I was just telling you – know, when I saw when I watch the Super Bowl and I see a seventh rounder like Isaiah Pacheco run all up and down the field, and listen, I'm not comparing Deshaun Watson to Mahomes because no one can be compared to Mahomes. Let's let's make that clear. But when the guy plays from the shotgun and they have an offense that essentially couldn't be stopped against what everybody thought was an incredible defense that was likely going to dominate the Chiefs, it. it it gives me, you know, I don't know, some sort of a pause, right? And, and, and listen, I don't think the Browns will trade Nick Chubb because there's no, no team will give the Browns what the Browns would want in return from a value perspective because I don't think the league in general values running backs like Nick Chubb like we do. But if, 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 the, if the deal was right, I think the Browns would have to, at, at the very least, entertain it. And that's what that's what's crazy about this. But anyway, thanks for the time as always, man. I love you, bro. I appreciate you too. Love you right back. Um, yeah, I I think there's just a danger in in keeping up with the Joneses. Well, I, Isaiah Pacheco. All right. Well, by that same measure, the Kansas City Chiefs have one elite player on offense. It's Travis Kelsey. So I'm sure that they'd love to have a Tyree Hill. They just traded Tyree Kill. So should the Browns just trade for a bunch of no-name wide receivers? Wow, but the Chiefs are doing it. And, well, okay, so should the Browns damn all, all the torpedoes and bring in every veteran to be on their defensive line in the hopes that they can mimic what Philadelphia did in one season? 
what Isaiah Pacheco did was really impressive. And going forward, guys, he might actually just be a really good football player. But just because they've gotten success out of that, if there was some incentive, and Nelson kind of hinted to it, if there was some incentive, the Detroit Lions come tomorrow and offer you, I think they have the second, they've got two first-rounders, and their second first-rounder is like the 22nd, 20th, 18th, somewhere in there. All right, you'd have to consider it. But I don't think it's a no-brainer. And this this group think on running backs, I don't care what other people value Nick Chubb at. It, what, what move has Nick Chubb's contract stopped the Browns from doing? Because that's what this all is, right? You have to be smart with your assets. Okay, the, usually the teams that really have to do that ha- are the owners that don't move the cap around that for whatever reason value winning but not winning at all. The Browns don't have that problem. What move has having Nick Chubb stopped you from making? There is none. Financially, his contract hasn't held you back so far as we know from anything. So if it's not precluding you from making the moves necessary to get better, and and it hasn't so far as we know, and there's no real value to trading him, I think where we're at is, I think I think any change is good change in the minds of some Browns fans and media members. It doesn't matter that Nick Chubb is one of one, one of the five best running backs in the NFL, and I might be shorting him and calling him that. doesn't matter. He hasn't won. Ergo, he's not a winner. Ergo, if you just move him, maybe you have a better chance to win. Okay, is it does a third round pick give you a better just random third round pick next year give you a better chance to win the Nick Chubb? Well, probably not. And that Albert said, Albert Breer when he joined us said that's probably the ceiling to what you could get. The questions we have are valid. But saying that we should skip to the end and say, "Up, ah, you got to really you really I mean it's time to move on from Nick Chubb." Now, that's where the math doesn't add up to me. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. 